0: Want you to think about what that verse says for a second, okay? It says, You give life, you are love, you bring light to the darkness, you give hope, you restore every heart that is broken. I don't know what you came in here needing this morning, but whatever you need, he has it. That's who he is. That's what he does. So I want to challenge you as you sing this song, make it a prayer to him, and whatever you need, let him meet you in this place this morning and supply all your needs. Because he wants to. Let's sing it again, everybody. You give
1: a lie. You are love. Oh. No.
0: every breath we breathe every note that we play and we sing every beating of our heart lord it's all on loan from you and sometimes father we take for granted the fact that the gifts that you have given us the talents that you've given us the voices you've given us the arms and the legs and the hands all of those things were given to us so that we could lift your name in praise that is what we were created for and this morning father i'm not going to let a rock take my place we are going to lift our voices in praise to you because you've loved us, you have redeemed us, and you've called us your own. And we are so thankful for that this morning. Thank you for being in the midst of our praise. Be with James now as he brings the message. And all God's people said, amen. amen. You may be seated.
2: Well, as you do, will you go to Ephesians chapter 4 with me? I don't know about you, but in that one I had a moment. Have you ever had a moment in a song? I had one <laughs> I was standing there. That was... That was a great song to lead us into our study this morning, and um, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. Actually, it was supposed to be the whole chapter today, and it's not going to happen. I'll, I'll give you a heads up, and that's okay, and, uh, and I forgot to do that. Yeah, if you are here and, and headed to junior church, you uh, can head down that way. We've had started having the kids come in for our worship. Um, I think that's important, and, and so they are welcome to head downstairs and be downstairs for the junior church time uh, at this point as well. So Ephesians chapter 4. Now, I want to do a review. And this is for those that have not been around or maybe for those that have and just missed it. But we have been doing a study in a series called Love to Love. We have been loved by God with the intentions on us in turn, turning that love so that we can love other people. Now, I'm going to give you one word and I want you to give me the answer. Every answer is a one word answer. Hopefully by now you know it. What is the command? The command is to love. Good. More than I thought. So that's good. The example is Jesus And the means is okay, unity, but the purpose is others. You got it. Very well. Very well done. Um, You always get nervous when you ask questions because if nobody answers, then you start to second-guess yourself. Uh, Did the whole point get missed? And so our studies so far, we've looked at Romans, we've looked at Galatians, we've looked at Philippians. Today we're going to be in the letter from Paul to the church in Ephesus. And we're going to remind ourselves before we get any farther, remember every letter that Paul writes to any of the churches. Every one of those letters deal with the topic of unity. And Ephesians is no different. And I want you to listen to the words of Paul. We're going to start really in verse number one. We're not going to go verse by verse all the way down to where we're trying to land this morning. But I want you to look in Ephesians chapter four and really look at verse number three as we begin. Listen to the words of Paul. And I want you to notice the key word. The key word is the word one. He says this, starting in verse number three, Endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace, there is one body, there is one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. And really in those set of verses, from verse 3 down to verse number 6, you see the emphasis that is placed on unity. You see the fact that God is calling us not just to sameness, but the idea of unity is our God-given uniqueness that we take and we focus on a common goal. And so as we grow as a church in unity, God then gives us assistance in the process. So look at verse number 11. Uh, It's going to be tough right so stay with me. I want to work through verse number 11 because it makes all the difference in how we look at verse number 15. To help us along the way in this area of unity God provides some help and he does so through specific roles and in verse number 11 it gives us four and he gave some apostles some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Why? So that we can help ourselves in this area of unity. And I want to get to verse number 12 in a second, so don't don't jump ahead. Stay with me in verse number 11. We need to talk about these offices so that we understand what it is that God has given to us to help us in this area of unity. Because again, remember, if we are not unified here as a body of Christ, we will never have impact out there for the cause of Christ. It cannot happen. And again, this is why the theme is so important as Paul pens these letters to all of the different churches that there is a segment of that letter that deals with this topic of unity because it is a vital necessity that we find ourselves unified around the doctrines of the Scripture and some things, as we're studying on Wednesday night, we refuse to compromise on. And so to help us along in learning what those doctrines are and helping us along in those areas of unity, it says, first of all, I've given to you apostles. Well, what are they? An apostle is simply one who is sent on a mission. Biblically, apostles served the specific purpose in Acts chapter 1. They gave a personal witness of the resurrection of Christ. Uh, They were confirmed as apostles by their abilities to perform signs and miracles. 2 Corinthians 12 says that even in these miracles, though, they were never self-propagating. When they performed a miracle, it was not to gain attention. It was to reflect that attention back onto the God who gave them those abilities. The apostles were used as a foundation to the church. And as we study the New Testament, though, we never find the apostles replaced once they pass away. So the conclusion is this, the gift of the apostle was kind of a limited time only choosing of God for the purpose of establishing the church. And seeing that none of us this morning can perform miracles or give a first-hand account of the resurrection, we believe that the role of the apostle has passed away with those men who were specifically chosen by God to accomplish those measures. But then you come to the word prophets. A prophet is not just someone who proclaims the future, but proclaims God's word. Now, if you think about that, especially, again, as we studied in in Sunday school this morning, we looked at our class, the the prophet Jeremiah. During his days, there was not a completion of God's word, so God chose men to speak on his behalf and to pen those words under the Holy Spirit's inspiration. So whereas the apostles seem to have kind of a a broad-sweeping ministry— of establishing churches, the prophets were more local church focused and using that role as a mouthpiece to the church. They were foundational still, though, for the founding of the local church. But listen, you and I this morning who have trusted Christ as our Savior have the Holy Spirit and the completed word of God. We have no longer a need for someone to speak on God's behalf. He's already told us in his word everything he has to say. And so we believe, according to Ephesians 2.20, that the role of the prophet no longer is valid. But now you come to these last two, you come to this idea of an, of an evangelist. We move from the foundations of the church to the advancement of the church, and evangelist was simply those who were the bearers of the good news. They traveled from place to place preaching the gospel, and their primary target was simply to reach the unsaved. They had a singular focus. And then the last thing that we might hesitate on calling a gift, but that's the way the scripture calls it, is the pastor. And you, you kind of combine those terms. The, the pastor teacher are two descriptions referring to one office. The pastor is one who shepherds by leading and feeding the flock. We know that the spiritual nourishment that feeds the flock is what we find in God's word and the teaching and the reception of it. Now watch, watch, watch. Just because God calls evangelists and pastors does not mean Christians get to wash their hands of the responsibility to spread the good news of the gospel. Um, I don't know how to say that any more firmly um, to communicate that principle. Just because there are specific people who are chosen by God to be evangelists or pastors slash teachers does not mean it's their job to impact a community for a Christ. No, their job is to do what? Now you find verse number 12. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Listen, the old adage that 10% of the people do 90% of the work is not what Paul is encouraging in Ephesians chapter 4. God has given to us evangelists and pastor teachers so that we can pour into the lives of the church so that you, in turn, can go out and do the work of the ministry. Our job is to edify. It is to help in the completion process of a saint so that we, as a collective whole, can go and do the work. So I would tell you this. You did not call me here two years ago so that I can do everything. Can I say this? I told you this years ago, a couple years ago now, and I'm I'm glad to report that that has not been the attitude here. My job, the role of the pastor, is to pour into you through the teaching and preaching and, 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 and shepherding of a flock so that you in turn can work alongside of each other in unity for the cause of Christ. So nearly three straight services this week. Starting last Sunday, Wednesday, and now today, we've been, we've been dealing with this idea of serving and, and pouring into other people and loving them. And lest you think for a second that the topic of love demands weakness, you know as practically as we have gotten in this study, listen, loving people is not easy. It is a process that God is doing in us so that we in turn can love others. And sometimes the demand to love other people is a challenge. And as we studied Wednesday night, one of the core beliefs of this church is that we will remain ministry focused, that we will find ways to serve other people. And hopefully we see the biblical mandate of that serving others as we studied last week. Can I tell you this? The issue of loving others is an issue of spiritual maturity. In verse number 14, here's what Paul says, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of man and the cunning craftiness whereby they lay in wait to deceive. What is Paul telling us in verse number 14? Sometimes it's time to grow up. You ever use that phrase with your child? Just grow up. You're acting like a baby, just grow up. It's time to move on. It's time to show some maturity. It's time to stop being a child and expect everything to be done for you. Paul is telling the church in Ephesus that we have been called to a unified approach at ministry to a lost world. And for some of the people in this church in Ephesus, they were still acting like a child where they would sit and want everything to be done for them and to be spoon-fed. And Paul says, no, That is not the way this works to the best of its ability. The pastors and teachers and evangelists equip you so that we can grow. So that we can be mature and stop being a spiritual child. Watch what he says. How do you know if you're a spiritual child? What are the evidences of spiritual maturity? That's what I want to begin this morning, and then we'll wrap it up next Sunday morning. How do we then know if we're a spiritual child, maybe our growth spiritually has been stunted, how do we know? Well, Paul answers that question for us in verse 14. And what you notice is this, the evidence of spiritual maturity involves a willingness to speak the truth in love to other people. What does he say in verse number 14? Here I'm going to give you something really practical. Paul says, stop being tossed around. See, children we know take things very literally, don't they? You say something to them and it might be uh, tongue-in-cheek. It might not be exactly how we meant to communicate it. And and a a kid can latch on to that and not totally understand what we're saying because kids are very literal and they are very trusting. And sometimes that trust can be um, fun to pick on a little bit. Sometimes you can take advantage as a parent with that trust. You know, one of the things um, that, that Kara's dad does that's that's always funny, um, our kids call him Papa, and one of the things he does is, um, and he's a pastor, so you'll understand this a little bit more, he has the ability to tell a story and elaborate on it very detailed. And he'll make up something wild, like a, an illness that has I mean, it's, it's so made up that it almost sounds true because he's able to define this illness and, and, and share with you that this is what he has, and it has X, Y, and Z as symptoms. And, and he tells his big story as if it is real. And, and the kids kind of sit there sometimes and think, is he, is he being serious right now? Well, what, are, what are we witnessing? What is Papa trying to tell us? And it could be the, the, the largest lie that you've ever heard in your life, but they sit there as kids, and first of all, it's their Papa. You would think that they could trust him. And second of all, it is so detailed and descriptive, and it sounds so right that they think, all right, this must be the truth. But the one thing that they have learned is simply this. If they want to know if Papa is telling the truth, all they have to do is say, Papa, are you lying? And he'll say, yes, I'm lying. Are you crazy? And he'll come up with some some ability to laugh at him because how they absorbed all that like a sponge. Why, Why is he able to do that? Because a child is trusting and the kids, as he tells the story, can be tossed back and forth thinking, well, is he right? I don't think he's right. Is this true? No, that doesn't sound right. Is, is, is this disease really a disease or is Papa totally making it up? Because children bounce back and forth between what is true and, and what is going on in their mind and trying to figure out if it's true. And when that crosses over into the realm of Christianity, at some point as Christians, we need to get settled and grounded and established enough where if somebody comes and challenges us on our faith, that we're not going to be back, well, that sounds about right, but the Bible says this, well, I've heard this, but I've always heard that, and we get bound. Have you ever been there before? It happens all the time. There's all the time new teachings that arise, and, and you think, well, that really sounds good but is it biblical? Is it true? And as Christians, we can bounce back and forth between what we hear and what we're being told and what God's Word says, almost like a ping-pong ball goes back and forth across the table. Christians, listen, we have to be wise enough to discern the difference between what is right and what is wrong. And I've heard discernment defined this way, that discernment is defining what is right and what is almost right. Because sometimes those almost rights can be more deceiving than the blatant wrongs. What's the point? It's dangerous when Christians stop asking questions. Immacru- immature Christians will only believe what they're told and will be constantly tossed back and forth in their beliefs depending on who the popular teacher of the day is. So what is Paul telling the church in Ephesus? Listen. Listen. For the church in Ephesus, a reminder is given by Paul that would do us well to be reminded of also that not all teachers are honest. I hate to say that. It really is disheartening to tell you that a lot of people that you might hear on TV, on the internet, on the radio, in a podcast, and I know that you know this to be true, but, but not all of them are in it for the glory of God and in honesty. The Bible says that some are slightful, they're tricksters. Some of them are cunning and crafty, they're subtle. It's not obvious that what they're teaching is wrong. Some of them are just simply waiting to deceive. They are methodically and patiently waiting for the next opportunity to lie and to deceive for their personal gain. So here's the question. If we are going to try to understand what is right and what is wrong, and if we're going to try to identify... Whether someone is a, a, a biblical teacher or not, I want to give you this. Just write them down if you want. But four questions. Remember I told you, the problem is that we refuse to question things anymore. Because we've become so immature and, and honestly sometimes spiritually um, spiritually lackadaisical that we don't want to go back and study it on our own. So what are the questions that we ask to determine whether someone is teaching us right or wrong? Can I tell you this? The first one is this. Ask the question of origin And you can jot down Galatians chapter 1, verse 11 and 12. As a church, our core belief is the authority of Scripture. Everything that we know about God has already been explained for us in his word. We trust it to be true. It is inspired. It has been preserved. And God, who cannot lie, has already penned for us everything he wants us to know right here. Our authority begins and ends right here, plus and minus Nothing. And as such, if that is our core belief, if someone is teaching something that doesn't align with what God says, here's the encouragement. By Paul says later, mark that man and have no company with him. Keep some separation. A good reason for distancing. Let me give you a question. Does this teaching line up with what God teaches in the Bible? Well, here's the problem. As we discussed last week, the issue of context plays a major role. I know this is getting, this is getting kind of deep this morning, so stay with me. Not just the question of origin, because a lot of things can sound good, can't they? A lot of things can sound biblical. So here's your second question. Have a question of consistency. If a teaching is true in one part of the Bible, then it is true in all parts of the Bible. It is dangerous when we begin to develop a doctrine or a teaching based on one verse and having no supporting verses anywhere else in Scripture. Remember, context is key. What is happening in the verses around the verse that we might be studying at that particular time? Here's the question to ask. Is this teaching confirmed by other passages in the Bible or is it refuted? So there's a question of consistency and then there's the question of uh, origin. Let me give you a third one. The question of benefit. Do you understand that as we are talking in Ephesians 4, the purpose of this teaching is to edify and equip believers? And the purpose of Scripture is to point us to Christ always. So when we hear someone teaching, does this teaching equip me or edify me to be more like Christ? And then the last one is this. It's a question of product. Biblical doctrine will cause me to live like Christ. There will be an inside-out change as the Holy Spirit begins to work on my life. So the question to ask, if I implement this teaching, will I look or sound more like Christ because of it? Maybe the practice of the Berean church in Acts chapter 17 comes to mind as verse number 11. These, talking about the church in Berea, were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind. They searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. So they didn't just take everything at face value. They would go back and study it out. But one of the hardest things to do, one <laughs> guys, I'm going to out us real quick. So you might want to plug your ears or guard your ribs. One of the things that's hardest to do is find stuff in the refrigerator. Is it just me? Yeah. You all right? Where's it at? Yesterday, in this whole hot dog debate that we have going on in our house, my wife left me with all of the kids, no, that's not true, minus Morgan, all of the boys and my nephew, and they decided to go out and shop celebrating Morgan's birthday month at this point. And... Um, and I'm um, sorry, babe. And so they left me there and they didn't feed them lunch. And, and one thing is true, um, not a cook. And we had honey nut Cheerios and we had a bag of about three quarters of the donuts already eaten out of them. We had nothing left. But then I opened the drawer and in that drawer right in the center one was a package of brand new hot dogs. Listen, I can put a hot dog in a microwave and do just fine. And so, so we pot- brought out those hot dogs, and the problem with it was is some people, and I don't know why, but some people decide that a hot dog plane isn't sufficient, and so they add stuff on top of it. Now, we didn't have any chili, I would understand that, but ketchup and mustard and all that stuff, the problem was I couldn't find the ketchup. Listen, this became exponentially more difficult when I didn't have someone to yell up the stairs and ask where it was. Here, where's the ketchup? And, and listen, wives, if you hear your husband say, Where is the fill in the blank? Anything referring to the refrigerator, what do you tell them to do? Look for it, right? You gotta find it yourself. Listen, this was a dilemma. This is a major trial that happened yesterday because I've got all these kids shooting each other with darts and chasing chickens around the yard, and I'm just trying to fix them a hot dog, and I can't find the find the ketchup. And if I call, oh, if I call while they're out. No, nah, that's Never live that one down. Is it just me? I don't know. Why is the refrigerator so hard to find stuff in? And I might even look across, maybe move the gallon of milk because it's kind of large and things hide behind it a little bit. But, But seems like finding things in the refrigerator, a confined space, it's not like I even have to find it in the house. I know it's in this box somewhere. I just can't find it. Well, listen, even though it's a confined space, and sometimes I'm able to ask Kara where the catch-up is, most often I'm hoping one of two things are going to happen, right? I'm hoping she comes down the stairs and does it for me, or at least if she's not able to do that, um, she might at least point me in the right direction. It's, on the, it's amazing. W- wives, listen, you're amazing, And how you can say, it's in the middle shelf about a third of the way back, and it's next to the mayonnaise and the mustard. It's incredible how you remember that. In this instance, it was on the door. Why do they put shelves on the door? I don't think to look over there. If it's not here, why would I glimpse off on this direction? And there it was, a brand new, unopened bottle of ketchup. Now, which one is easier for me? Finding the ketchup... Or her giving it to me? Which one's easier? If she came down the stairs and gave it to me. Now, it's going to be accompanied by some comments, which I'm well ready for. But it's worth it because she found it for me. Because, listen, the search is often hard. Now, that's, that's an extreme example. When you look at the church in Berea and you think about the fact that they heard the teaching of the word of God, but the Bible says the daily they searched the scriptures to see if something was true. They were willing to do the hard stuff. They weren't reliant upon the relationship with the Lord to be attached to a service at 10.30 on a Sunday morning. That was just the springboard for the rest of the week, and they would go home and they would search it out, and they would dig it out, and I'm not trying to be rude, but I'm wondering if Christians are just too lazy to go and do the searching on their own because you want somebody to feed it or find it for you and give it to you, of which we have no problem doing, but that's not the biblical model. So here's our one another statement for the morning. If we are going to be loved to love, here's what verse 15 says. Here it is, ready? But speaking the truth in love may, what's the words? Grow up. Stop being a child about this stuff, that you may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Verse 15, what does Paul teach us to do? Speak the truth. There's a message. Literally, you you could define this and say it this way, that you are truthing it that what comes out of my mouth is nothing but what God says about a matter, not what I think, not what I feel to be true. This is the truth because God said so. Speak the truth to others. Truth must reign even if the speaking is hard to hear. The message, it's truth, but you also find Two other words that cannot be detached. I speak the truth, but I do so in love. There's that issue of love again. Sometimes it's easy to speak the truth because we have such a drive to be right. It doesn't matter how it's received. You hear all these statements about facts not caring about your feelings and all of that stuff, and that's true. However, sometimes we need to be concerned about the reception because, listen, people don't want to know how much you know until they know how much you care. And that's why Paul says the motive behind me telling you what is right is because I love you enough to do so. This is why Solomon says in the book of Proverbs, faithful are the wounds of a friend because listen, a good mature biblical friend is going to tell you what's true regardless of the repercussions. They're willing to speak into your life because they know what they are telling you is biblical and it's right and it's true. And they love you enough to do so. Because, listen, love and truth cannot be separated. They cannot be detached. Why? Because loveless truth is brutal. Truthless love is hypocritical. But, listen, truth in love is necessary. Did you get that? They cannot be detached. You cannot cut apart truth and love. Listen, a listener will be more receptive when they know they are loved. And sometimes loving begins even before we have a chance to speak truth to them. See, when we learn to speak truth in love, in unison, what does Paul say? We grow up. We mature. We, uh, we, we continue in, in what verse number um, 14 says, that we be no more henceforth tossed to and fro. We've grown a little bit. Look at verse 15, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. See, that's our goal. Our purpose, remember the idea of unity is not sameness because we're not all going to feel the same on preferential or opinion-based issues. But when it comes to something that is true and it's undebatable, that's where the, uni- the unity comes in. And remember, unity towards a f- towards a common goal. What is the common goal in verse number 15? That we may grow up into him in all things. And the growing up process begins at a spiritual birth. It is introducing somebody to Christ and allowing them to understand the the message of the evangelist. And that is, I have some good news for you, that your sins can be forgiven because of what Christ did on your behalf. You can be born again, Christ says. And for those of us that know that our sins are forgiven, we know we've trusted Christ as our Savior. Then we look at verse 15 a little bit more, and we continue to grow into him in all things. Listen to me. We learn to grow up in all things, big and small, because our desire and our goal should be that we look like and we sound like Christ more often. That's the end game. Is Christ likeness? And so when you get down to verse number 32 and the verses following, where I wanted to get us to is the next one another passage. We're going to look at that next Sunday morning. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Just as the Berean church did, I want to ask you to do something between now and next Sunday. I want to ask you to do exactly like they did and daily search the scriptures. Start in Ephesians 4. If you have something that you're already studying on your own, keep doing that. Don't interrupt it for this, but maybe add this to it. But start reading in verse number one all the way down to verse 32 so that we come in next week ready to look at what verse 32 has for us. Why? Because Christian, it's time to stop being spoon-fed and start searching for ourselves. Start doing some of the work by asking good questions, by seeking wisdom, and then lovingly sharing the truth with other people, whether they be saved or unsaved. That's our role. That's what ministry God has called every one of us in this room to. That is the purpose by which we are created. Christian, let me ask you something real quick. And believe it or not, I'm going to stop right there. How are you doing in in your time with the Lord on a daily basis? How are you doing in in blocking off a segment of time to do exactly that, to learn the truth so I can speak the truth in love? How are you doing in that growth process of spending time with God, as the Bereans did there in Acts 17, daily? How's that going for you? I wonder if you may have established that as a resolution this year—that I'm going I'm to read the Bible through, or I'm going to read so many verses a day, or whatever you decided to do. Well, here we are, almost to the end of January. Have you quit? you got a little more sporadic than maybe that first week of the year, listen. Let me encourage you. This is what this is. This is my role. This is the fun part. Keep at it. Keep studying. Keep diving into the authority and the the inspiration of God's word and allowing that to mold you and to conform you into the image of Christ every single day. Church, listen to me. We are living in a day where the truth is so relative and it is so sought after but confusing that we have the privilege to know that which is right and true regardless of our own opinion. But how crazy it is to think that we don't have the, the nerve, or we don't take advantage of the opportunity to teach the truth and love to others. Father, I pray this morning that you would do a work in our heart. God, sometimes it's hard. It's hard to listen to someone teach. Maybe we have a, a favorite author, or a, a podcast, or um, website that we go to and we listen to speakers and we hear um, them teach and we, we, we listen to it and we take it in. And sometimes it's hard to remember that um, it's our job to search these things out to see whether or not they're true. God, may we be discerning and mature enough to ask good questions about that teaching. God, we're living a day, to be, to be honest, and it's unfortunate to say that people with a, with a platform aren't always in it for your glory, that sometimes they are deceptive, sometimes they are self-serving. God, I pray again that you would just give us the wisdom to identify those, to recognize whether or not something is biblical or not. And if we can't figure it out, to ask somebody that might be able to help. But God, this morning we are living in a culture right now where we can't figure out which way is up. We don't know what's true. We don't know what's right. We don't know what's wrong. And the culture is fighting for those things and have declared some things that are blatantly unbiblical. They they've proclaim those to be true. God, sometimes we as Christians get irritated and annoyed at those people for making those decisions, but quite honestly, the decisions that are being made are natural for them because they don't know you. They've never had a chance to dive into your word and see what you have to say about a matter, so they make decisions based on feelings and opinions and and preferences, and, and that's what we're watching. So God, would you allow us to show people that we love them? God, we may not even right away have opportunity to teach them the truth, but maybe through an act of love, maybe through what we talked about last Sunday, by serving somebody that might open up a door to teach them the truth in love. Regardless, Lord, I pray that we would be selfless enough to realize that it's about others. That, God, what you have called us to, this divine purpose that you have given to us, is to live for the benefit of other people, to love them, just as Christ did. And in unity this morning, God, I pray that we would commit to reaching a world with the truth of the gospel.